from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. Hey, everyone. It's me, Amy. Just reminding you. We have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. Hey everyone, it's me, DB Spitzer. I'm back, uh, and and um, I'm not dead, but I feel no, like you it. are not. Oh no, well, no, uh, still still haven't gotten that tooth pulled out, but I have had a massive bacterial infection in my skull, so I'm on a lot of antibiotics and a bunch of other stuff right now. Uh, hopefully, hopefully mid December I'll get that tooth yanked, and I won't be in immense pain. Dave, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing much better than yeah. than I am not in immense pain, so I'm we're sorry that you feel that way, but I, I am doing well. Good, good. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Um, how's everything on the farm these days? Um, it is busy. Yeah. We have to type of year that we have to keep the the girl goats that we don't want to have babies away from the boy goats, but this not that's not this type of podcast. No, no, it's not. It's not. I believe today we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons and Narlethotep. Yes, we are. Good, 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 good. So Of course, uh, that's what we usually talk about in some well, form. Seems, so so that yeah, was a good guess. Yeah, yeah. But we're gonna be talking about I was thinking it was last week's, but no, no, we're talking about this week we're we're talking about uh Vrog, and we're talking about the many-legged goat and we're also talking about 
the masked messenger. The masked messenger. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to be talking about environments and objects in Dungeons and Dragons. So that's, you know, how many hit points does your tiny glass bottle have versus your humongous uh, stone boot? So, or huge stone boot. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought it was, you know, uh, when I when I was reading this, I thought this was Larg and the many-legged goats, and I was thinking that it was like some sort of Narlahotep cover band or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it did dawn on me that we're actually talking about three things instead of two this yeah. this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. I'm super, super-duper excited about uh, talking about that today. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. It's me and DB. We're back. That was the intro. And now we've got uh, now we've got to talk about stuff. So we're talking. What are we talking about today, Dave? So we are talking about Larg yeah. and the many-legged goat. And we are also talking about the mask one or the messenger of the mask one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what we've got on uh, first up is uh, from Uranus, Uranus, however you want to pronounce that planet. Uranus. Uh, by by Neptune. Uh, one of uh, Legix, uh, that's also the name of uh, Uranus in the Cthulhu mythos, the metallic natives and some rebellious insects from Shigai worship Narlethotep in the form of a two-headed bat. The rites are not particularly bloodthirsty, and the worshippers are only required to make an act- annual sacrifice. We've got the bloodthirsty worshippers only required to make an annual sacrifice of one of their members. Um, and that's from our friend Ramsey Campbell. Ooh, can and- I be that guy? Can I be that guy? Go for it. Guess what I got this week? What did you get this week? I got birthday greetings from Ramsey Campbell himself. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's super cool. Yes, he, he sent me a happy birthday message. Well, that's really nice. That's it really is really nice. He was, he's yeah. been on the show too. Yes, he has been on the show, and yeah, it's really kind of cool to have like a deity for something other than humans. And this makes me think. Okay, so. Narlethotep doesn't just mess with humans. He also messes with other things, too. And that's pretty cool to know that we're not the only ones that uh, Narlethotep feels the need to deal with. Uh, And and it makes sense that, you know, the whole idea of cosmetism and cosmic horror mm -hmm. is that we are insignificant. Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, even if he, you know, Narlethotep likes to play with us you know we're not really that special no no. it also brings up this sort of war among the different entities Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um 
and that you know that it's basically a not a reformation but sort of a, a religious breaking from traditional uh Azonian worship yeah oh yeah 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 and that's a weird one i mean we have instances of like uh religious schisms with like the vormi and uh with migo and other things like that like uh groups of migo choosing to worship sathagwa instead of uh other gods mm -hmm. or uh groups of vormi going from one group to another we even have lizard people who decide to worship sathagwa i mean um yeah no it's 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 neat though to like hear about the shigai or the shan and how they worship narlethotep or some of them do but yeah um, and also the other thing about the Shan, I'm oh, sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt there, no, but, go for it, go for but so the Shan were based on this statement that was in uh, Lovecraft's book of commonplace book. Okay. Uh, about, you know, body being taken over and controlled by insects inside your body. That's cool. And Ramsey Campbell took this from uh, the Lovecraft never really developed this idea mm -hmm. uh, but when Campbell took it from the commonplace book uh, he basically gave it a science fiction twist yeah that, that Lovecraft is only like a sentence or two statement sure, so sure. He, he envisioned it and one of the things that we see in the Shan of course is these temple ships yes the, these 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 spaceships that are dedicated to they're not only travel, but they are a dedicated worship place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and after after that, we have uh, many-legged goat. This form is only known from references made in ceremonies dedicated to the crawling chaos. And, yes. And, yeah. and I have almost nothing on that. Yeah. But multi-leg goats is a real thing yeah it, it's a rare genetic mutation but just like any other mutations there have been and they, of course most mutations don't live very long but there have been a rare case where goats have been born with eight legs so sort of i'm haven't you know this is terrible for a goat farmer i haven't really explored it because it kind of freaks me out yeah but uh I think it's like a form of like Siamese twin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. And we see this in Norse mythology mm -hmm. with the eight legged horse, mm -hmm. you know, and also it's also Narlahotep uh, stepping kind of on Shugnagaras territory. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, and um, it's it's for ceremonies for the crawling chaos. So it's it's a form of Azathoth that's made reference to in other ceremonies of Azathoth. So that's 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 interesting. But yeah, yeah, and, uh, and that would be you know Azathoth is this idiot, blind idiot god. So you have to go through some form of the messenger to it. Sure. Yeah. No, that all makes sense. And of course, if you need a messenger, there is the masked messenger. Uh, the female avatar wearing a bronze mask is best known in Morocco. And this is from one of the RPGs. This is from Secrets of Kenya. Uh, the last one we were talking about is 
A Night in the Lonesome October. I don't know if that is from an RPG or if that is from an actual story, but it was written by uh, Zelensky. And uh, the yes. mass. What's that? Oh, so so the mass messenger first appeared actually in some short stories and then was uh, updated in, um, but I think by the same person okay. in Secrets of Kenya. Um, and one of the things that about the mass messenger is you're right. It, it's worshipped by a, a African sisterhood, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they have. Their sort of holy book is written by a priestess, and it's 501 page short story. It's called The Mass Messenger. Um, And again, I believe that was completely created for the the role playing game. And in this, um, it's obviously a, a modernized version of 1001. You know, Arabian Nights, yeah, yeah, which is, I think, very appropriate because, first of all, how much it influenced Lovecraft growing up, Lovecraft the person, yeah. but also Lovecraft's writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but this is another time where we see fiction as holy books, like The King in Yellow. Yeah, yeah. So this is, you know, supposed to be. You know, a thousand. Uh, well, there's five hundred in this, not thousand and one like in the, the Arabian Nights. Yeah. But they're they're sort of exaggerated parables. But somewhere hidden in them are the hidden teachings of Narlathotep. Gotcha. All right. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's mainly filled out. Yeah. Through uh, through uh, Secrets of Kenya. Okay. Which, was one of the big ones, I think, third and fourth uh, edition of Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, 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 I remember but it. But I, I think they're still out now. Okay. I, I don't know if it's been something that's been reprinted for uh, later editions, but that's the cool thing about uh, Call of Cthulhu is it's not that hard to uh, reconcile things from edition to edition. As long as you can multiply. Yes, as long as you can do basic math. As long as you can multiply by five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is uh, the first leg of many legs on this episode. And uh, right now we're going to slip into uh, Dave's corner. And who are you talking to this week, Dave? So, yeah, we're going to have a interview. And it is going to be... I just lost my notes. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, of course, I know who he is, but I want to make sure that I pronounce their name right. Mm-hmm. And it's Samiko Salson, okay. who is, they are a writer um, and a very interesting person. Oh, and yeah. And we're going to talk about uh, uh, horror, uh, a little bit about weird video games. Mm-hmm. Cool, very cool. Yeah, no, Um. I believe they were on the panel with us uh, at uh, the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival this year. Yes. When we were talking about video games. Yes. Yeah. All right. Cool, cool. Well, uh, and then after that, we're going to be talking about objects and environments. So we'll see you in a bit, everyone. And uh, we'll be back after this break. 
Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Hey, Dave, how are you doing these days? I am well. You know, I, uh, I haven't been drinking a lot of coffee lately, but I have been eating a ton of Taza chocolate. Ooh. And I've, I've just been, like, melting it in cream. I've been uh, shaving it over the top of desserts. I've been just eating it by itself. I've been packing it into the lunches for the kids. And it is stone ground uh, chocolate out of Somerset, Massachusetts. It's really good stuff. Uh, I the am... home of ground, stone ground chocolate. And I'm a chocolate snob, just as I'm a coffee snob. And I really like this stuff. I used to be like Scharfenberger or GTFO, but oh man, uh, this stuff, this stuff is amazing. Um, if you think Cadbury's good, check this stuff out. This stuff blows everyone else out of the water. It it's it's good stuff. So check out Towns of Chocolates in the show notes, or go to pgttcm.com and click on our link to save yourself some money on some chocolate. Hey, because hey. nothing's better than chocolate than maybe less expensive chocolate. Exactly. All right. So once again, we are at that part of the show where I am not, I am talking to someone other than DB. And I am really excited about uh, our current guest, uh, Samiko Salson, who has, who I recently was on a panel with, and I was really impressed by her. Uh, Samiko, would you like to, uh, oh, give any, and I'll restart this. I'm sorry. I should have asked. What is your preferred pronoun? I'm so sorry. Oh yeah, my pronouns are they, them, or else Z here, which um, okay. sometimes people have trouble with the Z here ones. But yeah, thank okay. you. So let me go ahead and restart that if you don't mind. Not a problem. And, and did I pronounce the last name right? Yes, he pronounced both my first and my last name correctly. Yeah. Uh, that may may have been with the day my going. That may be the first thing I did right all day. Okay, so we are here at the part of the show where I talk to someone who is not DB, and I am really excited about who we're speaking with today. And this is Samiko Salson, 
And they and I were on a uh, panel at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival recently, and I was very impressed. Uh, Samiko, could you maybe uh, introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, my name is Samiko Salson. Um, I am an award-winning author of Afro-Surrealism and Horror, which includes um, horror poetry and speculative poetry, although I haven't won any awards for the poetry yet. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I'm working on it. Um, let's see, and I, I'm a comic zine maker, so I make comic, you know, and stuff like that, so I'm also an illustrator. Well, thank you. And you've got a, a book out, too, correct? I have more than one book out, well, yeah. We have a book out recently. Books out. Um, so um, I have a novel, Happiness and Other Diseases, which is um, out on Mocha Memoirs Press. And it's actually the first novel that I have that's um, traditionally published. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I actually had three other novels that I did early in my career, Um I think my first novel was back in 2011, so that's now um, 11 years ago. But this one is actually, um, you know, with a publisher and not self-published, because the first one that I did it was self-published. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about that book? The one that just came out? Yes, yes. Yeah. So Happiness and Other Diseases is the story of Flynn Cahey, who um, is a young man who has bipolar disorder. Um, He starts having strange nightmares that are kind of um, sort of, you know, integrating themselves into his day to day reality. So as these things start to affect him in real life, he um, decides to, you know, talk to his psychiatrist as one is wont to do and um instead of getting support she just thinks that that means that he's self-harming and you know (laughs) suicidal he didn't say that but that's what she heard so she puts him in the mental hospital where he meets a um a demigoddess i think is a way that you could describe her um so she's been sent to try to protect him uh, from the other, from her more dangerous siblings, because this is all based on um, Greco-Roman mythology. And if you know anything about that, they're quite often related to each other. So um, like um, Hercules and Pericles, she's, um, you know, half human. Uh, yeah, she's half human. So she's like a love interest for him, I guess. Oh, wow. And um, it seems to have a lot of really you know, interesting and, and original concepts here. Uh, what were some of your inspirations? Um, well, I have bipolar disorder um, with psychotic features um, and I have post-traumatic stress disorder. So mm-hmm. a lot of the writing, um, especially like there's a lot of Uh, This that takes place actually in the mental hospital um, was me processing different parts of my life where I had to deal with different types of um, hallucinating and also um, being in and out of the mental hospital um, between 9-11 and um, about um, 2006. um, I had a period of time for for five years. I was in the hospital quite a quite a bit. Um, I think I was in the hospital for more than a, more than a dozen times um, during that period of time. 
Um, and um, the types of hallucinations that I have are um, audio, visual, and tactile hallucinations. And a lot of people don't know about tactile hallucinations, but when you feel something touching you that's not there, it's really scary. Yeah. Very scary. Um, so, um, you know, I was trying to process things by having conversations with people, but you're talking to people about things that are so different from their personal experience that they're very hard for them to relate to. However, when you fictionalize them in the context of something like a horror story, they now become something that holds people's attention and interest a bit more. So I figured that that was a way for me to both have the benefit of therapeutically processing things that I've been through, um, you know, and also to be able to connect with people and maybe get people to feel something about it. Um, yeah, I guess that's probably what I would say. So, yeah, quite a bit of personal there. And, and I appreciate you being so open on that. Uh, what about the, the mythology? I mean, I just, that was something I loved as a kid. Is that how you grew this interest in mythology or where did that come from? Yeah, um, I was interested um, in mythology as a kid. I spent a lot of time um, in the library. Um, and when I was um, in fifth grade, um, I developed an interest in mythology and pretty much read all the mythology that I could find in the library. Um, um, you know, I'm 54 and like a lot of people who were children in the 70s. I was a latchkey kid, so after school, I went to the library and hung out and got more and more books to read, and that's, um, you know, where I got a lot of my information about um, the mythologies. Um, however, when I decided that I wanted these to be um, creatures that were related to the um, realm of sleep and dreams, I had to go and study and read a whole bunch of um Greek and Roman mythology that I had not read as a child because the mythologies that they tend to focus on um, that are more mainstream are ones that have to deal with the gods of of Olympus. And um, because uh, people have taken uh, these philosophies or this old religion and then kind of mixed it together with Christianity, there has become a sort of condemning of the gods of the underworld and associating them with evil and bad and things like that, that makes it so that people don't read those mythologies as much. Um, And, um, you know, I I also should mention um, Xena Warrior Princess and um, Hercules. Um, Those were on in the 90s. And, um, you know, those stories told the mythologies in ways that actually communicated that the underworld was not just Hades, um, and uh, Hades is actually a god, not a place, really. Um, But it's not just, um, you know, um, the lands of the dead, it's also the lands of sleep. Yeah. Right, so they had a whole bunch of different trips down there and they talked about the Elysian fields and they did sometimes cross over into other realms. So this deals a lot with the land of sleep and the world of dreams. Um, And there are a whole set of um, gods that, um, you know, uh, often talked about 
Um, I think um, that uh, Morpheus and Phobator and uh, uh, Fantasauce, um, those were the ones that got named. Yeah. Um, but Somnus had a thousand um, sons that, um, you know, through Parthenogenesis were born through his head. Uh, Somnus being the god of sleep, literally. So Somnus, the god of sleep, had all of these children. And there's supposed to be a thousand aspects of dreams. So um, what I did was I created an aspect of dreams that is not named in any of the mythologies and just randomly, you know, decided this was going to be one of the thousand sons. But I changed the mythology so that um, Brash, um, the god of erotic nightmares, is actually the child of um, Somnus and his beloved Pasithea because I became very enamored with the um, story of Pasithea and Somnus um, while I was doing my reading up and studying on this. Oh, wow. And I kind of, well, I mentioned it when we started that uh, you and I were recently on a panel in the HP Lovecraft Film Festival and we talked about... um, Oh, uh, are video games getting weirder? Uh, do you have maybe something you could share about that? Yeah, so um, this is the thing. Um, video game, so this is the thing, okay? Um, the weird as a genre is something that I think, um, you know, is very much associated with H.P. Lovecraft, but he isn't the only um were the only early um, weird author. Um, And there are others. Um, I think that, um, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, who I was a big fan of as as a child, is very um, much associated with being one of the founders of weird. Um, But, uh, you know, weird fiction is something that has been kind of influencing video games from the start, because when you look at things like... um, like Doom, you know, and some of these other early video games, you see a whole bunch of this kind of thing going on um, in the world of video games. And then I think that in the, um, you know, I think that when you start to see movies based on like the Resident Evil franchise and the Silent Dream franchise, it sort of um, created this um, loop effect where you saw you know, weird video games make make better movies. Honestly, the more weird they are, the, the cooler they are as movies. And video games that, um, like horror video games that have a lot of elements of the weird, um, people falling into different types of, um, you know, layers of reality, um, they're they're interesting but what i noticed was that um some of the games that were not initially weird just started getting more weird elements in them um yeah um so um i'm i'm a huge fan of the dragon age franchise and i noticed that um in the start there was there were mythologies and they talked about the gods and there was the blight which 
is something where the dead the dead are raised up and the dead are going around attacking people. And even though there is a blight and they're talking about how the blight originated, it's all mythologies of gods that are not present. But as the story goes on, more and more you see these gods start to show up. And as the gods or the pseudo-gods show up, then you have more um, interactions with um, different things like, you know, the veil and the fade and tears or rends in the veil. And this is, you know, different realities seeping in and out of the main reality, which is definitely a theme that you see a lot um, in cosmic fiction. Yes. Yeah. And this is just showing up more and more and more. And I noticed there's a lot more really weird fiction just showing up in in all levels of things Um, since the millennium, in my opinion. I think at the beginning of the millennium, everyone got really hyped with a bunch of, um, you know, Rasputin crap. (laughs) You know, like... like Y2K is going to destroy us all. Yeah, exactly. So there was the whole millennial madness thing that happened, and it really got into people's heads. And since then, people have been giving weird cosmic sorts of, um, you know, reasonings for why things are happening. So even when you see something like, um, you know, Jordan Peele's Get Out, and they talk about the sunken place, right? Yeah. Everything like the sunken place, like the really, um, the in in Stranger Things, the upside down. Yeah. Um, in Us, they again have an inverted reality layer under reality. The idea that there's some kind of hidden, inverted, weird other reality somewhere that you could just get sucked into and, 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 and caught in. It's just really taken hold of people's imagination. I honestly, the first time that I had contact with that kind of an idea was, um, you know, when I was 12, I was reading, um, the talisman, which is a book that, um, Stephen King and Peter Straub did. Yeah. Yeah. And in the talisman, it was very much like once people became of a certain age, became adults, they didn't see these cracks that are in reality. The idea that there are cracks in reality is really taking a hold of the imagination. And I think that it gives people a feeling of maybe a way to understand things being different than they anticipated them being so that when things happen like the pandemic, let me put it this way. There's a sense of safety, like a really kind of artificial sense of safety that we've had, especially as a first world culture Mm -hmm. where we feel like lots and lots of things are unable to touch us. And the things that we thought were unable to touch us are touching us. Okay. Uh, 9-11, someone attacked us in our country. They attacked New York. Okay, we felt safe. We weren't that safe. We thought that these global pandemics were never going to touch us. Okay, Uh, we got touched. We had to deal with COVID-19. And this sense that we are too civilized to have to deal with these things and these things can't get to us makes it so that people have to almost come up with some kind of weird supernatural reasons why things are changing and why we suddenly have to deal with things that 
the rest of the world has had to deal with this whole time and the whole planet has had to deal with most of the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, if that makes sense. No, no, no I, I completely on the same page with you. That, yeah, there's things that we just, as a society, spent so long during my childhood pretending didn't exist to us. Yeah, and the weirdness is almost like the feeling that people have when those things that they thought couldn't touch them are suddenly coming into their lives. So I I noticed that that's a trend in video games. I noticed that that's a trend in television and in film. More and more people are writing things that are about reality fraying around the edges. I was going to kind of ask you that. What were some of your, uh, what are some of the other maybe mediums where you like horror or weird fiction in besides, say, video games and books? Um, well, I, like, I watch a lot of movies, so I did mention yeah. movies. Um, and I think on the television shows, too, um, you know, you have television shows like Lovecraft Country that are directly... Uh, connecting with H.P. Lovecraft, but even in different other types of, um, you know, television shows that you see. Um, and it's almost like there's this really strange disparity because one of the things that people are fascinated with is reality television. So people are going down the rabbit hole of weird reality um, like early in the pandemic, people just got super sucked into you know, um, the the Tiger King, you know what I'm saying? So there is, you know, on one hand, people trying to find things like, like that. And then on the other hand, when you look at different types of TV shows that they have had on over the past um, five or ten years, like um, Sleepy Hollow, that's one that yeah. is pretty weird. Um yeah, it, it's, you know, they used to talk about how did people would have um, interest in like zombie movies or vampire movies as sort of a reactionary um, thing to what was going on in politics. Like when people were feeling like it was too much of a consumer matrix society, which usually happened during when Republicans were in office, they would start getting super interested in um in zombie movies, but then when they were worried about people being excessive, um, which would happen during when Democrats were in office, they'd get really concerned with vampire movies. And they did a whole study about that. Hmm. Yeah, they did. And I I wish I could think of what the name of the study is, but they did an actual study about that pattern with movies. And you see it because now we've got the vampires again. You know, yeah. honestly, we got the we 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 actually have the zombies and the vampires at the same time, yeah. and stuff. But it is an interesting theory. I think that there's um, something going on that's making people feel an attraction to the weird, which is something that um, is you know again kind of different um, from you know, these things that are more like solid supernatural creatures. Um, there's been a lot, well, you know, when you think about it, like the lawnmower man, the lawnmower yeah. 
that's weird. <laughs> that is definitely weird fiction. Um, gosh, Videodrome, so weird fiction. Um, <laughs> uh, that's going way back there. I think that even like the movie The Wall that came out when I was a teenager. Pink Floyd? Yeah. Okay. I, I think that The Wall is something that's really based on mental illness and someone having a nervous breakdown. But it has so many different strange creatures and things coming in and out of reality in it um, that you get an almost um, William Burroughs Naked Lunch vibe off of it, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that that's another connection with the weird is that you have all of these, um, you know, these writers like William Burroughs that are really talking about um, the experiences that they're having with mental health and drug addiction issues that are causing them to see strange things that they're writing. Um, so in a way, um, you could say that I'm writing from that particular tradition mm. of weird. Of weird. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of my favorite and a little bit more science fiction, uh, Philip K. Dick. Yeah, the, the the same thing where you know he struggled all his life, and and not in any way necessarily a cool girl, but he he spent his entire life not being able to know if something was reality or not. So, yeah, and I think that that he's very open that he said this is one of the ways he dealt with that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that for a lot of us, it's very therapeutic to just be able to talk openly about what's going on, um, even if it's in the context of telling people about how you get your inspiration, because we ultimately have to come up with some way um, to survive, um, you know. Especially now. Yeah, exactly, you know. And, um, you know, I think that people have to come up with a way to feel um, safe, I guess, in the way that people come up with to feel safe is to create mythologies. So they're really creating mythologies that separate what's going on with them from, you know, what's going on in the world. So we're not really separate from the world. We're really a part of the world and we're not really, you know, safe from all of these things. But we create ways to make ourselves feel safe um, by creating, you know, um, sort of psychic boxes to keep things out, which reminds me of Hellraiser. Yeah. Also pretty weird. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, I, I think all things Clive Barker are pretty weird, honestly. I, and I think he would agree with you on that. Yeah. So as I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you, but our, our, we have sort of a signature question we always like to ask people at the end uh, on this show, and that's if you could be in have any creative project, any media, you didn't have to worry about money, you didn't have to worry about copyrights, basically any project that you you wanted. What is your dream creative project? I have a lot of dreams, and I dream pretty big. Um, I do think that if I was um, someone who was doing, like, um, you know, 
episodic television programs. Okay. Um, and I was out there doing that. Like, my dream job would be to do a, a television show that was based on the L.A. Banks um, Vampire um, Huntress series. Because I just feel that that needs to be on television. I think that okay. someone needs to really make that happen. Um, but that is about L.A. Banks and not really so much about me. Um, still, and yet. Um, I think it would be nice if... Um, you know, one of these days, my books were popular enough for me to have, um, you know, a movie or a television show based on them. That would be super cool. Oh. Um, yeah. And if it did, would you want to be hands-on? Or are you more just, I want to say in the book, I'm handing it off to someone else, or would you be more hands-on? You know, I think that there's always a tension between the writers on a series and the people who are creating the series. And although I would love to be involved and I would like to be hands-on, um, I do realize that you don't really control everything. Yeah. Um, so I realize that they can take your stuff and do what they want to do once they have like a contract. Um, and sometimes you get really pushed aside. So I would hope that whoever was making the movie or the TV show would respect me and respect my opinions and actually want to, you know, consider them and have me involved in the process. That would be better for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know? probably better for the end result of the project, too. I I would like to think so. You know, that could be my ego, though. Well, now, um, and you said that your book was out. What are some, if some of our um, audience members are interested in getting your books or other, uh, you know, projects that you have, what are some ways that they can find those? Well, you can find me at sumikosalson.com. That's S-U-M-I-K-O-S-A-U-L-S-O-N.com. Um, my book, Happiness and Other Diseases, is on Mocha Memoirs Press. That is actually just like it sounds, mochamemoirspress.com. Um, but you can also find it, um, you know, on in iStore, on Nook, on, um, you know, Kindle. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. I think that if you go into Barnes & Noble, you actually have to order it. It's probably not going to be sitting on the shelf. But you can walk into a Barnes & Noble and order it, and they will order it, and you can go pick it up. So that's always nice. Um, yeah. And I do have books that are in the public library. So for those of you who um, check out books at the library, um, check and see if my books are in your library. And if they're not, you can request them. And they will order books for you. Uh, well, if enough people request a book, they will order it for the library. So that's always cool. Um, my um, books that are um, poetry and short story collections can be found at Dookie Zines. D-O-O-K-Y-Z-I-N-E-S dot com, which is, you know, my self-publishing imprint. And also my comic books are on Dookie Zines. And if you go to Dookie Zines, um, not only can you find out where to get my comics in print, but you can find out where to look at the web zines for free online because they are available to read for free online. Oh, nice. And uh, we'll, we'll work with DB and we'll make sure that we've got links on here on the show. So thank you very much. And we'll hope to have you on again soon.
Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Hey, Dave, guess what we're talking about today? We are talking about objects. And if you are looking in this podcast in your rear view mirror, it may appear bigger than it is. Yes, very, very, very true. And what do we mean when we're talking about objects? Let me tell you as soon as this page loads up. Okay, so um, we're talking about things like Paper, crystal, bone, steel, mithril, adamantium, might. No, I, I'm, I'm going to say, like, if you have, like, a giant piece of, okay, so say cloth has an AC of 11, then you have a large, I don't know, um, a, 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 a large uh, piece of paper that's like a 10 foot by 10 foot piece of paper, it's going to get a, uh, uh, hit point added to it based off of its size so it's it's objects it's about the fragility of something it's uh i don't know can you can you explain this a little better than i can dave well you know it's almost like if you're playing a video game yeah everything's got to be coded right yeah there's got to be some so as a, a gm usually so you say there's a table there yeah well that table exist in your mind and the shared storytelling sure but it exists only as a table but as soon as a character picks it up and hits someone over the head with it mm -hmm. or flips it over and tries to use it as protection or gets thrown at it exactly then then it starts needing its own stats sure. so you know unless and hey if this is if this is your jam go for it but you know I don't know of anyone that like stats out every pewter cup in a <laughs> pub, and, and maybe they're. And, hey, if that's what makes the game fun to you, yeah, don't do let it. me stop you. Yeah. You know, that one has a chip, so it's minus one hit point, or you know, so so once these things start interplaying, mm -hmm. and a lot of a lot of these are made just off the cuff because. You know, they don't realize that that, you know, that table leg or that cup is going to become a weapon or whatever. 
or that someone's going to tear a map or <laughs> so that that things are going to get set on fire or that something's going to get dropped from a great height that's made out of a sturdy material or a resilient material but i think it's enough of an issue that you know the game designers felt they needed to make some at least general rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how many hit points does a rope have? How many hit points does a hemp rope have versus a um, silk rope? I mean, um, I mean, this isn't like weight allowances and stuff like that, but I bet you could probably figure that out too. Like, how many adventurers can stand on the old uh, the old oak table before it breaks? <laughs> exactly, and. And I'm fortunate most of my players are pretty when it comes to things like that, they're they're sort of let slide and maybe they disagree with me, maybe they'll say something, but but there's rules always out there. And yeah. there are those people that would not be comfortable unless everything was statted. Yeah, yeah. But there also is that if it does come up, having some handy stats just yes. there in case makes the game First of all, you don't have to stop and think about it. You don't have to look things up. Yeah. So having a good idea or object theory, for the lack of a better word, having an idea and a handle on object theory, yeah, it, 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 it's going to make you a better GM. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a good thing to have in your back pocket, especially if you have wild cards <laughs> who like to turn everything into a weapon or do things that other people like, like newer care, newer players uh, generally be like, I just want to sit there and figure out this game. And, you know, your more advanced players are like, well, we just need to get this stuff done and figure this out. And, yeah, I've been on adventures like that. And then you get your wild cards who are like, well, uh, what if we take the door off of its hinges and then use it as a sled down the mountain? You can be like, OK, cool. Well, how durable is this? How many hit points does it have? How long are you going to be going down the mountain? You know, then you've got your like rules lawyers who are like, I should have been able to cut that in half. I should have been able to throw that boulder at that and it should have crumbled. It's like, well, actually, no, because that's made of this and that's made of that. And that would have just bounced off that. Sorry to say, but, you know, a wooden shield versus stone. Yeah, sure. The stone was this big, but the wooden shield was this big. So go home and cry. But <laughs> objects, I mean, I don't know how much more we have to say about objects, but it's like if you need to figure out how much something, how many hit points something has and what its AC is, objects are awesome to know. The objects chapter in your uh, section, in your Dungeon Master's Guide or uh, wherever it's at, I believe it's it it's, might be in a couple of books. but And, and it's stuff that you... That... I think most people gloss over. Yeah. But if you give it a second look and just, like I said, keep it in your back pocket mm -hmm. because 99% of the objects, there's going to be no reason for stats. You may be, sure. you know, if it's a mug, how much it holds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, but it, if you have the basic understanding of the rules and how they sort of compare, so you don't accidentally have a mug that is, takes more damage than a huge oak door. Yeah. Unless that mug has magical spiritual properties that we don't know about. Maybe it's a mithril mug. Well, then you would know because <laughs> as a GM, because you've worked out your object stats. Sure. Yeah. 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 
yeah, no, objects. They're cool. They're fun. Um, you can figure out cool things to do. And if your uh, players get turned into a, uh, I don't know, a mithril, or let's say, let's say, get turned into wooden statues, you'll know how many hit points they have. <laughs> yeah. All right. And what happens if you drop that wooden statue into freezing environments? Well, that's a little something we like to call the environment. Uh, this is everything from like falling, how much hit points you're going to take from falling, which is what? Um, 1d6 bludgeoning damage for every 10 feet past 10 feet. Uh, suffocation has some pretty cool rules for it. Um, like a creature with constitution can hold their breath for three minutes and then start suffocating. Uh, it has two rounds uh, to reach air before it drops to zero hit points. I mean, it's it's your constitution modifier, uh, minimum of one. You know, it's 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 got great rules for light, obscurity, dim light, darkness. Uh, visual senses like blind sight, dark vision, true sight, um, interacting with objects, which is just the last thing that we talked about. And that's just talking about like uh, strength checks and dexterity checks to fall away from things or catch things. Um, resting, short rests, long rests. But the one that I wanted to talk about uh, between adventures, no. Uh, downtime activities, not really. Although you can craft. Uh, practice a profession, recuperate, uh, research, and train, there is weather and terrain. Not train as in to study something with an instructor. But or the choo-choo. Or, or the choo-choo. I'm talking about terrain as in, uh, you know, earth. The ground? The ground, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I would say... That that's probably the big one. Although I want to throw this real quickly before we jump in that. Sure. I think the one that is burned most into DMs, GMs, and even players' heads is falling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean that's one of the first things I learned. You know, in uh, you know the old box D and D set with the dragon on it, and mm -hmm. it, you know it was the falling rules because I think that's the one that we think of as used much the most, but in a lot of ways, I think um, terrain too. And the yeah. terrain can be more than just window dressing. Oh yeah. 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 Like they talk about um, like beach and shoreline about how it's difficult terrain and uh, uh, beach is a hot climate. So there is radiant damage, like yeah. just like, you know, ex ex exposure to the sun. Uh, they've got various things for uh, ranged attack penalties due to the sun, um, tides coming in and coming out. Uh, how uh, give you a, a non-D&D &D example. Yeah. And this is a little bit exaggerated because it happened to my player, and so I carry it on. But in Cyberpunk Red, mm -hmm. um, these servers create so much heat that's why they've got these special suits or why you see uh, Lucy and Kiwi in, you know, bathtubs of ice in, in the Edge Runners TV shows. So if you go into one of these server rooms and you don't have these special suits on, 
you got to start making uh, endurance rolls or you start losing hit points. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. only hit points I've ever lost in a as a player in a Cyberpunk Red game was because I was going through in a cyber, I mean, a, a server room without enough clothing on it. Yeah, that's that's so, crazy. So but, yeah, it's it's not just D and D; it's all games. Yeah, yeah, and it's like frozen. Uh, like I'm gonna hop back into uh, environments real quick. Uh, frozen lake or waterway, um, and it's 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 like uh, it make a DC thirteen investigation, perception, nature, survival, any of those to know that this is like a bad place to walk. Uh, cold damage, uh, one point of damage for all non cold creatures for every minute they're exposed. Uh, to it with bare feet or, you know, not wearing enough clothes. Uh, like, cold and water magic uh, have their DC increased by one uh, and an extra 1d4 damage on a failed save. And fire magic is re DCs reduced by one. Um, there's a chance to break ice. You know, it's... it's, it's um, it's it's becomes like treacherous things. You it it becomes like how we've talked about uh, traps. How traps are just modifiers for getting through an area more or less, and uh, ways to inflict damage to slow people down. Uh, there's rules on river crossing if you needed to figure that kind of stuff out, and how to deal with uh, weather. Um, generally, it's about an area effect, difficult terrain, radiant damage or that kind of stuff, like what kind of damage you get, uh, all of the uh, dangers that you're going to find, and also things like fighting on a slope or fighting on icy surfaces or fighting in a sewer or fighting in, you know, it's it's there's so many cool things that all these, like, did you know for every day you spend in a sewer, uh, you have to make a DC-11 constitution or get affected by sewer plague? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things in here that it's like for fifth edition, it's like there's a thing called swamp fatigue. Um, and you've got diseases just like you do with the sewer. And it's it's like there's there's so many cool things that you can do with weather events, with um like they've got fire devils, heat ex heat, uh firestorms, flooding, um you know, when you go to a higher elevation, I did not know that there was a rules for higher elevations, thin air. This terrain deals one level of exhaustion for every three days you spend if you fail a DC 13 constitution save. Once you accumulate three levels of exhaustion, you suffer altitude sickness. And it's 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 got rules for that. It's got rules for lava flows. It's got Rules for poisonous vapors. I mean, we're not going to go through and read everything to you. They've got acid rain, Dave. Ooh. Yeah. Well, they call it poison rain, but you know what it is. <laughs> and, and a lot of this is just common sense. Yeah. And a lot of it would just be role playing. But when it starts affecting roles and starts affecting, you know, characters directly as opposed to just storytelling, then it needs to be codified. Now, of course, everybody's going to stretch and bend and sort of, I, I don't, maybe there are people that memorize all of these, and I'm sure there are people that say, I know this is coming in my game, so they look it up. Yeah. But a, a lot of it's common sense, but it still needs to be codified for fairness. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're just talking about non-magical terrain. Um, they also include fire and burning buildings, uh, rotting monster carcasses, tornadoes, windstorms, um, like magic-based cold that like just kills everything. Um, yeah, no, there's there's just like an insane amount of stuff that I highly recommend. It is. It's it's the stuff that I always forget about because I generally have all my adventures happen in a city where, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, the weather quality is bad. So everyone either cover your face or take a this or, you know, that that kind of stuff. Um, just kind of like have it baked into the adventure as early on as possible. So people go, oh, yeah, this is how this is done. And how, this is how that's done just for like their local environment. But oh, man, but. Like if you have like everyone going on long travels, you you can. You, you, are you there, Dave? Yeah, I'm, I think that was my computer. That was I don't know what it was. Okay, yeah, I had a pop up come up, and I was like, oh man, I hope that wasn't me. Anyway, but yeah, no, uh, weather, terrain, um, all kinds of cool stuff can be found in the environment section of your dungeon master's guide. Um, I believe. Anyway, it doesn't matter what book it is. Uh, you can track it down online. I'm using the 5esrd.com, which has all everything except for the stuff that is copyrighted by uh, T. Uh, was who owns D? Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast. Okay. Hasbro. <laughs> yes. All all the information Hasbro sees fit to print. But yeah, yeah. Um, Definitely, definitely, definitely spice up your game with something that's been there from the beginning. You know, um, you can treat your game like an older video game where you can't interact with anything in the world except for the objects that you're supposed to interact with. You don't need to have hit points for your objects and you don't need to even do the weather stuff. You know, if you're a new GM, DM, whatever, if you're new to Dungeons & Dragons, ignore that stuff. That's I, I don't want to say it's for advanced users only, but it's like early on in the game when you're learning the rules, unless it's for like a special thing or like you go to the mountains or the desert, I wouldn't worry about it. Like a lot of DMs, I'd say don't worry about it. You bake this stuff in um, as you go normally. So, but if you really just want to like be on top of it, have all kinds of rules for the environment that you can then back up in case someone's like, I don't think that doesn't seem very realistic. You'd be like, well, that's what the game says. So, yeah. <laughs> and again, these are, I think are things that people sort of gloss over. Yeah, yeah. Unless they're specifically looking for something. And I think we forget that they're there. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we take it upon ourselves as, as game masters to rewrite or remake the wheel that's already there now you may sure. not like it and make yeah. a different one sure yeah. but i think a lot of people think that this is things that they'd have to make on the fly yeah yeah no in the past i have definitely had to make stuff up on the fly about stuff but i think i was also playing different games um when it came to the environment and like using the environment against people it's it's been more of kind of like um like second edition Planescape or uh, any kind of Call of Cthulhu game where they 
go somewhere other than Massachusetts. And even in Massachusetts, there's various things that you could use for environments that would be uh, harmful or beneficial, whatever. And, and I think 5e might be the most codified game of this. Maybe not. I mean, statistically, when you look at it, but yeah. it definitely has the impression that it's got the most codified of the rules. Oh, yeah. About things like environment. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. And um, I, I, I just think it's cool knowing that there's now rules for like a burning building because it's like I don't know how many burning taverns or burning whatevers I've had in my D&D game. A lot of burning taverns. Uh, you wake up and you smell smoke. Uh, <laughs> you're awoken by the smell of smoke is, is more like what I would say. But yeah, yeah, no, no, it's 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 this kind of stuff is really cool. Um, if you need to know how many hit points that um, vial of acid that the villain is holding above his head while, you know, monologuing to you about how this acid is going to get poured into the water system and it's going to hurt everyone, you know, it's like, just shoot it at, shoot, 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 shoot it, shoot it, just shoot it. How many, how many hit points? Oh, 11, 11 hit points. Well, um, uh, okay, cool. I think I can do that. I'll, I'll use all of my specialness as an elven archer to break that vial. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're done on environments unless there's anything else you had to talk about. David. I think that we've got it covered. All right. Well, in that case, uh, we're going to travel to the end of the show, which I know for a fact the environment uh, there uh, makes for a uh, quick retreat if needed. So Okay, I will not object. <laughs> Good to hear. Good to hear. Hey, everyone. It is the end of the show. We hope you have had as much fun as we have had talking about this stuff. But, yeah. It's uh, environments, it's objects, it's many-legged goats, it's 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 all kinds of good stuff. And it's if you all up to you. Yeah. And if you want to hear more of stuff like this, tune in next week. Uh, we're going to have more. And, of course, there's the daily show that we put out where there are uh, just weird fiction stories from this month and the next few months. Uh, from Astounding Stories of Super Science. So if you want to listen to some old pulp, we've got some old pulp. And yeah, on the be weekend... Be astounded. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be astounded by the old pulp. And uh, we have this show on weekends. So check this show out. We have a back catalog that'll knock your ass on its socks. And, <laughs> of course, uh, review... Rate, subscribe, tell your ma, tell your pa, or I'll ship you down to Sothagwa. Check out all of our sponsors. Help the show by getting something you like. Uh, I really have to recommend Donner these days. They've got some really good deals, especially coming up on the holidays. We've got a lot of really good deals. So check that stuff out. And we'll see you next time. We'll be talking more about Narlethotep and Dungeons & Dragons. Anything you have to say before we go out into that... Uh, no, but uh, everyone, everyone have a, a happy Thanksgiving. And if you're listening yeah. to this after Thanksgiving, hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving as well. Um, not because Dave said it, but because I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's one of those holidays I actually care about. I don't care about sitting down with everyone. I just like to cook huge amounts of food. Anyway, <laughs> 
we'll we'll see you next time and everyone be cool stay squiggly and always be weird so we'll see you then everyone bye bye